Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the biggest stories in European football. I'm Dotson Adibayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm David Carlidge. On this edition, after a somewhat lacklustre performance in the Nations League, is the cry of less Ronaldo, more Portugal, a Lisbon treaty too far. Also, voodoos and hoodoos notwithstanding. Why is the current French team such a pile of mad? And as club football returns across the continent, David is here to put up a staunch defence of Barcelona. Not that they need it. Talking of which, you've both been watching the international football over the last uh, couple of days, over the last week. What's caught your eye? David, first. Yeah, sure. It's the the boys from Serbia who are who are catching my eye. I feel like they're perennial dark horses when they when they do go to a tournament. Everybody's always like, oh, watch out for Serbia, you know, they've got some nice individuals from around Europe. But I do actually feel this time they are true dark horses. I think they could cause a lot of teams problems. Um, they're very much in their pomp right now. They're, they're looking nice defensively. They play out from the back very smartly. Um, they've got, and then when you go into that midfield and their attack, um, when you've got Kostic, Milinkovic, Savic, and Tadic, Supply, and Vlavic, and Midro, then I think, you know, that, that is exciting within itself. And, you know, they, they won their group in the UEFA Nations League. They've secured uh, their pot two for the Euro qualifying draw as well. So even outside of the World Cup, they're, they're looking long term, I think. The squad's a good age. I'm really, really impressed by them on every angle. And, and they, I think for me, they're the, they're the main team to watch going into the World Cup in terms of dark horses. Andy, in terms of dark horses, where'd you go? You know what? I, I want to... Firstly, I want to say Denmark for last because he's he's not here. 
and obviously their their shirt reveal um, is, is a very interesting one this week which uh, uh, the Qatar organising committee have already responded to but the thing that caught my eye this week was actually uh, more, more of a club thing I mean he's an internationalist of course but the great Claudio Pizarro um, has retired um, they had his tribute match in, in Bremen it was always going to be in Bremen he played for Werder Bremen in five spells no less as well as um, being at Bayern Munich a couple of times so there were uh, matches between Werder um Vintage Verda, Vintage Bayern, and uh, Claudio's Amigos uh, to to cover it all off, and it was it was beautiful. Of course, he's the oldest scorer in Bundesliga history, as well as the um, second highest uh, overseas scorer in Bundesliga history. Until he, he was first, until um, Robert Lewandowski completely blew him off the charts. Um, but Pizarro was was a great player, great personality that people love. You know, you look at all the people who turned up like uh, to play, like um, Max Cruiser, Owen Hargreaves was there, Hans Jörg, but and the great Johan Miku, one of my absolute favourite playmakers, who um, should have been Zidane's successor, never quite happened. Can still play a bit of forty nine, so it was beautiful to see. Let's talk about, well, I want to talk about Portugal versus Spain, but actually, should we talk about Cristiano Ronaldo? I can't believe that the Portuguese media are on his case after being the talisman for his nation for a couple of decades now, at the very least, I would have thought. They've decided they've had enough of him, Andy. What's going on there? Um, well, you talked about it at the top. There was that incredible headline in uh, Abola, one of the dailies, um, less Ronaldo, more Portugal. I mean, that was um, less a call to arms, more a comment on the way Portugal are actually going. Because, um, uh, you know, that he scores a lower proportion of their goals now. Um and that they have a greater balance. And that's something that they've been looking for for a while. I, I thought... Um, this was about five minutes away from being a very successful international window for, for, for Portugal until that late Alvaro Morata goal stole um, the uh, final space in um, the, the, the final four of the, the, the Nations League. But I think you look at the, the previous game in uh, Czech Republic, they played really well, won 4-0 um, against a good team and... I think that the thing that everyone really noticed about that in Portugal is that Bruno Fernandes is finally off the leash. And that was an issue going back as recently as the Euros, which is um, less than a year and a half ago. And in that, um, there was a sense that everything was still very geared towards Ronaldo, that um, Fernandes was kind of stymied, left out. They weren't getting the best out of him. And um, you know, given what an influential player he's been for Manchester United, form dips notwithstanding over the last year you know that's that's a huge problem you know they need to move on from that and they can't rely on Ronaldo so much but with that said I would say David that um, Fernando Santos has been consistently ahead of the curve in um, defining what Ronaldo should do and where he should be like more so than his, his, his club coaches really uh, at Juventus and United where he's become this sort of five-star albatross really over the last couple of years which is such a curious position for one of the the the, the greats of the game but I think they are managing to get him to accept a subordinate role just as they managed going back to 2016 to create a system in which he wasn't required to do much running because 
you know he wasn't physically up to it at the time and you know he still can't press off the ball and uh, and that sort of stuff but what do you make of his role david for for portugal as compared to with the clubs i think there's i think the defining feature here is portugal the amount sheer amount of talent that portugal have coming through i think the pressure now on Santos and on Ronaldo as well in terms of the talent coming through is significant there. Um, you've got Rafael Leal, Pedro Neto, João Felix, all waiting for those attacking berths, I think. And I think you've got a nation, Portuguese fans, who are waiting for those players to come into the fold and to be the four of the country. It's um, It's been a long time going now with Ronaldo. There's been success. Um, there's been some underwhelming moments as well. But ultimately, I think it's okay now it's a good time to move on I think it's a fantastic luxury to have him as a as a bit part player somebody coming from the bench uh, potentially you know to, to get a goal late in the game or to be a, a presence on the on, on the break perhaps in the last 15 10 minutes he can't be a starter anymore with Portugal I don't think um, I think when he does start if he is the the focal point of this Portugal team he holds them back um, I think when Santos um, chooses to go that direction, I think he then holds them back as well. There's too much excellent talent, I think, in Portugal um, to to keep you know uh, to keep massaging this this Ronaldo ego, to massage this swan song. He can go out in style. He really can in a different type of role. Um, I think we've seen in other team sports as well that veterans can can play a significant part without actually being the main. You know, source of that team, the main source of success for that team, um, and I think he's got to accept that. I understand that he won't, he probably won't easily. It's how Ronaldo is, but um, I think it is that that time. And I think if they don't, then Portugal will suffer at the World Cup. But when you look at the match against Spain, um, and it's a good example that match of you know you can have as much possession as you like. You know, it only takes a goal to undo all your hard work throughout the match but when you look at that match Ronaldo's chances were best half chances weren't they I mean the frustration of the team and the fans I can understand but if you don't feed the goat he ain't going to I mean feed him with some distance um, he ain't going to get the goals is he I, I th- it's, it's funny Doc now, I think the chances that he had were chances that he made look half chances, I, I think, through his own rustiness, which is a bit of an issue. Now, he did manage to contribute in that game at um, Czech Republic. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, in, in a kind of weird way, obviously, by getting his face smashed in, by giving away a pen, and then by setting up that one for Diogo Jota, not the sort of Ronaldo hat-trick that we're used to. But... Um, in this game, he looked a bit snatchy and anxious. You know, you saw that that one chance um, where he didn't control it properly in the in in the second half, and that was Portugal's last real chance of substance until he had that one just after um, Morata had scored. And I kind of feel that he ended up going the distance in both of these games because it. I felt that Santos felt that he needed to get Ronaldo fit. Because maybe the concern is he's not going to play enough at Manchester United, David, to to get him into the zone that Portugal need him. I just thought Portugal played for the draw. I thought, you know, which Santos often does. I thought Portugal played for the draw. I thought I'll never forget that they did it against um, they did it against Serbia when they played for a draw as well. When you, you know when they ended up missing out on an automatic World Cup qualification as well. Um, 
I thought we'll get on to Spain soon, but I thought, you know, Luis Enrique, for all of his criticism, he was proactive. He was like, I want to win this game. I can see an avenue, an opening here to win this game. He made the changes, he was decisive, and he went to win that game, and they won that game. Santos did not, and they lost that game. And this is what I mean where I could see this being an issue at the World Cup. I feel there's a pattern here with a lot of nations. Portugal are one of them, France, we'll get onto them, and they're another one that they haven't rectified their issues from a previous tournament and they're kind of overlying going into this World Cup and they are the biggest factors and the biggest question marks hanging over some of these major nations. So the question was less, or the statement was less Ronaldo, more Portugal. And that statement has been, I suppose, captured by uh, an Instagram message we've got from the Kirkman who says, Ronaldo with Portugal, is he still considered an asset then? Or is he becoming... The issue, I, th- I think. That, I think there's a bit of both, definitely. Um, like I said, I think that Fernando Santos felt that he had to get him into Nick rather than making those decisive changes. And I, I think David's absolutely right to bring up the juxtaposition between the way that Santos played it and the way that Luis Enrique played it. Do you think that Nico Williams made an enormous impact on on, on the game? You know, he absolutely changed the game and. On the other hand, Joao Felix gets brought on, on in, what, the 89th, 90th minute? I mean, what are you meant to do with that, really? You know, you saw him making that foul at the end and the frustration was evident. You know, that was their last chance to get it up the pitch and he was um, so eager, over-eager to get on with it, having been sitting there kicking his heels for however long. Um, so I think it's it's, it's not... Ronaldo in terms just Ronaldo in terms of a declining force which is the issue for Portugal I don't think I think it's what sort of Nick is he going to turn up um, at the World Cup in because I think even if you want him to play that um, truncated role that, that that David's talking about you have to be fit I mean he he had what half a pre-season at best because he was unsettled clearly had some family issues that he was given time off for and all the rest of it. But, you know, his whole game was always been based around being at the absolute top of it physically. Now we saw with Messi, who's, you know, still a couple of years younger than him. He had no preseason to speak of and um, last season, and that was incredibly damaging to his form last season. You know, you can't turn up in the modern game. You can be the greatest player in the world. If, if you turn up and you haven't had a proper preseason, you're not going to be a Nick. And, and that is what we are seeing at the moment, I would say. After suffering a defeat to Switzerland, uh, surely one of the questions for the Spanish team must be, you know, you beat Portugal 1-0, but you lose to Switzerland 2-1. What's going on there? This is the Luis Enrique era um, in a nutshell. It's a roller coaster. Um, I think you, you, we saw what Spain were like at the Euros. I thought they were the most entertainment team in there. Not in terms of to actually their style of play, but just their games. I just thought they were they were full on. It was a really, really just a heavy, heavy ride watching them. And, and it continues that. Um, I still think parts of their play uh, are a little bit demure, a little bit boring, a little bit sideways. Um, I think a large part of that is because Luis Enrique still has never... I, feel, I don't know when he's ever had everyone that he wants on the field. Um, you know, there was players missing here, the likes of Laporte... Uh, Thiago, um, I think they, I think they need to uh, be brought in um, to, 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 you know, to really enhance this Spain team. Um, there's a clear 
negative there, clear flaw there with their defence. There's big issues there. For me, the biggest question mark is with Spain is their defence. The hope is, I know from Luis Enrique's part, is that Laporte will come back, get back in the Man City team, get full fitness ahead of, him, ahead of the World Cup, and he'll be there and he'll provide that strength and presence in defence that has been lacking since uh, the figure of Sergio Ramos left the, the setup. Yeah, I, I think the defensive thing is, is a big deal for them. And I, I, I don't know about you, David, I, I thought it was a case of addition by subtraction to a certain point in the... Um, you know, Eric Garcia left me feel, feeling a little bit more comfortable about what, what Spain have because I, I just really don't think he's at the level that, that, that Spain or Barcelona um, really need. Um, I, I think as, as, as well, we've, we've got to put it into perspective. I mean, sometimes we look at the result and, and, and work backwards. Um, something I talk about a lot, I suppose. But... Um, you know, I, th- I think we do have to say, like, for the first... Before, as you say, Portugal started to settle for the draw, uh, for the first 60 minutes, they were the better team, even though they had less of the ball. And it felt like Spain had a lot of the ball without really doing that much um, with it. Um, in in terms of the attacking part, and, and during that, you know, they, they defended, I would say, globally pretty well, but they needed Unai Simon to have one of his very good nights. And I did think he was very good. He made a couple of very good saves in the first half in particular. But where you always look for Luis Enrique to step away from that um, Spanish tiki-taka cliche is you always felt that Barcelona and Spain under Luis Enrique can be a little bit more vertical. Nico Williams really helped them to do that. And, Morata being on the pitch really helps them to do that. You look at the front three that they go in with against Switzerland in a game that, I mean, you know, they must have wake up in cold sweats um, thinking about Switzerland, the amount of um, ones they've had pulled on them by by Swiss teams over the last 10 years. But, you know, you look at the front three they went in with there, three players who aren't really playing in Sarabia, Asensio, and uh, Ferran Torres uh, at club level. And this time, whatever Morata's fault, he is an authentic number nine. He can do the number nine stuff. Yeah. You know, and, and that is massively important to them. I mean, David, would you go as far as when we reach the World Cup? Would you would you start with Morata and Nico Williams? Yeah, I would. Look, I've been one of the biggest critics of Morata over the years. I really have at all of his clubs. But you know what? He's one of the first names I put on that team sheet. Absolutely. The players either side of him, I wouldn't. So in this instance, Ferran and Sarabia, it's just not working. Um, they're natural footed wingers and they're being used out wide. I think it's very predictable. They don't have the dri- dribbling ability. To, if you're going to have natural footed wingers outside uh, uh, in wide areas, they you need to, you need to have high levels of dribbling ability. They have they neither of them have that. Ferran, for whatever reason, I don't know why, has stopped. Dribbling. When he was at Valencia, his dribbling stats um, and such and his take-ons were, were out of this world. He hasn't done it at Barcelona. Um, I thought he didn't do it at Man City when he was there as well. He certainly doesn't do it with Spain. Um, there are some brilliant talents um, there who, who, who th- thankfully, Luis Enrique has other players to call upon. I think Ansu Fati and Nico Williams both have to go. I think they are jokers in the pack. You have to take them in games that are nil-nil. Spain's going to have a lot of very, very tight games, I think. Um, and they're the sort of players who can come on and really unsettle any defence. If there's 15 minutes to go, you're a little bit fatigued. And Ansu or Nico or both um, are warm and open about to come on. You are you, you're bricking it because you know that they are just going to go for the throat the way that they play. 
You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Of course, the Nations League has thrown up all sorts of matchups that to be fair, start catching my eye this week. Um, and we'll come on to the fortunes of uh, Germany in a second. But I think we should start off talking about France. And this question, this tweet by Jimmy to the B is the one that everybody, I suppose, is echoing. What the... I'm sorry for the French. What the fuck is going on with France? Oh, Dalton, I mean, we've, we've only got a section and we've got to fit Germany in there as well. There's there's a lot going on with France at the moment. There's, there's a lot. And maybe, um, I, I think it's, it's sort of gone under the radar to a, to, to a certain extent. Certainly uh, from a British perspective, because I think a lot of people have, have looked at England um, and where they are. Um, I, I heard um, someone said to me, like earlier this week, for example, um, what's happened to England? They were joint World Cup favourites with France and now look at them. But, you know, I, I think that really doesn't take into account what's happened to France, you know, and do they still deserve to be favourites for this for the, for this competition? Uh, and I, I think there's a question mark over it. Um, they've got problems on and off the pitch. Um, I mean, there's the whole... Uh, Pogba blackmail thing. Um, will he even be fit? I, I think is a, a, another side to that. Uh, there's uh, Noel Graeb, the president of the French Football Federation. Um, him and the federation have been accused of um, covering up uh, complaints of sexual misconduct. So that's something that's going to run and run. There's the fact that uh, 
Kylian Mbappe has been refusing to do um, group promotional activities. And I, I mean, I, I think th this is something we could come back to actually because in, in, in future weeks, because I think Kylian Mbappe is not only an incredible footballer, but someone who could be a trailblazer for how elite level footballers are in the future. And, you know, you've never had like previous best in the world players like Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi going, actually, yeah, I'm not going to promote this product for um, Argentina or Portugal. I'm, I, I refuse to do that. But, um, you know, it's, it's it's been something that's been tricky for the FA, but I think people will look at him and think, okay, well, he's, he's, he's taking a stand and, you know, marking out his own territory. Um, I think it's, 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 it's quite interesting. Of course, there'll be people who will say in response, well, aren't you playing for... PSG, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's, it's a huge discussion that we could, we could, we could, we could have somewhere else. But um, so there's that. On the pitch, I think um, they clearly have um, issues of experience in midfield because if Pogba's not going to be there, maybe even N'Golo Kante is not going to be there, that means a lot is leaning on uh, Chuameni and Kamavinga, which could work out really well. Um They've got defensive issues along with half the teams in the competition. Um, uh, you know, th 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 there's there's a lot going on. I don't think we should automatically assume that they are the favourites. Basically, that is worrying, isn't it? Uh, not just for France. I'd have thought just for any uh, World Cup fan, David. Given that France are the champions, first of all, you would expect them to go into a World Cup organised, you know, with their mared together, as it were. However, here we're looking at uh, the prospect of the world champions just four years ago imploding just ahead of a World Cup. It couldn't have happened at a worse time. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely not looking good. But again, following on from our Portugal discussion, I think there were some clear issues there with France a few years ago at the Euros. Um, I still don't know whether they've been fully addressed. We've mentioned at the start of this section all the things that are going on with France without mentioning another one as well, and that's the figure of Zidane, which just, yeah. I just think continues to loom over this France squad and, and, and the potential of him coming in. It is just always there. Um, I thought, and there'll be people looking at Deschamps' comments um, on Saliba, um, and Kamavinga, um, especially Kamavinga, saying that he, he saw some things that he doesn't like to see or he doesn't want to see, which I thought were really poor. And I also think targeting the young players, the inexperienced players, was a, you know, an attempt to get them off the hook, I think, when it's probably the more experienced players who need to be looked at. Um, from judging by that France performance, judging by recent France performances. I don't think it's the young players who need to be targeted. I think it's the more experienced players. I think the likes of Griezmann, Mbappe, could be you know, looked at uh, closer in terms of what they are doing, um, their contributions. Um, and yeah, with that in mind, people automatically think, look, these guys, Kamavinga, Chuameni, Saliba, they're starting to come now into the squad. Is that in turn a time for a change of coach who can integrate them, who can use them, who can take France forward. And again, I ask you a question. Who, who would you rather be uh, going into the World Cup? Uh, we've got two former world champions or the most recent world champions, France and before that, Germany. Would you rather be the German coach going into this World Cup at the moment or 
the French coach, Andy. Deschamps, without a shadow of a doubt, um, he's got the better players. Um, he's got a genuine chance of winning the competition. I I'm not sure Germany really fall into that category um, because they are far further back on a on, on a rebuild. I feel for a tournament, like France can probably patch those holes um, and, and get it together. And I think if you look at France's tournament history, go back to World Cup 1998 and they had a very, very difficult um lead up you know you think um a, a year before the tournament um you know fans were in french stadiums um chanting for Aimé Jacquet the coach to be to be booted out and and it was all all right on the night can we take germany serious though as contenders in in the world cup we always assume that they're going to step up uh to a certain level in a tournament and no doubt this tournament won't be any different but can we take them seriously as contenders andy I think this tournament will be different. I think this assumption that we're getting the tournament Germans when we get to the World Cup is a sort of denial of what's what's really happened over the last um, 10 to 20 years. You know, you think the sort of players they produce now, it's, it's very different, you know, um, the, the model for producing players in Germany. Um, there's, there's a lot of flair. I think when you look at their defenders, sometimes you feel there's maybe too much flair in, in some of those cases. I mean, you look at the way they, you know, chucked away a winning position at, at Wembley. And of course, England did really well to, to, to come back. Um, again, there are another of these teams that defensively have issues. I think you look at Nico Schlotterbeck, for example, who's the future of the team in so many ways. But he's a great footballer who's still learning to be a great defender. I would say, and you know, David touched on it before with um, Sergio Ramos. He went through that stage, so it's not saying that Schlotterbeck won't become world class, um, but I don't think he's there yet. Um, the the tackle he made on Bellingham to go, give away that penalty was absolutely crazy, and almost the most Dortmund thing ever. You know, important Dortmund player one in, injures important Dortmund player two in the same action in an international like 10 days before the Classica. <laughs> it's just one, one of those things that only Dortmund could do really. But uh, uh, Jude seems to be okay. But I, I think, you know, Germany are going to be entertaining rather than consistent, which is, I think, the opposite of what people of a certain generation expect from Germany at a, a, a tournament. Like David says, ton of good attacking players. I think if they can't have Kimmich and Goretzka together in the middle of the park, I think that fatally compromises them. And just that defence, I mean, like, before we even get to the, 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 the central defence, Jonas Hoffman, who again is a, a terrific footballer, is not a right back, but he's going to end up playing right back. You're going to have a very, very busy Manuel Neuer there, I think, in Qatar. Yeah, David, from what we're hearing, it's the wrong time to be rebuilding, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely the wrong time. Yeah, absolutely. Look, any any rebuilding that you start to do should have been done post-Euros. That's when you start putting down your foundations. First year, you kind of say, right, it's coming together now. I see where I want to go with this. And then that next year, you kind of say, right, this is the team we're going forward with. And this is the team I'd ideally like to take to the World Cup. So it should have already been done. So if you are still looking to fill gaps right now, I think that's concerning. 
especially when you look at the lack of football. There's going to be no football between, played between now and the start of the World Cup as well. So practice is over with. It's going to be when you get your training camp figuring things out. So nothing competitive, um, which is a big, big issue. In the case of Germany, um, purely watching them, looking at them, I think their high line, as entertaining as it makes them, as Andy pointed out, it is also going to be their downfall. I think it's absurdly high and wild at times. I think it's going to create a lot of interesting games, as we saw against England, who are not an interesting team. It created an interesting game, I think largely because of that. Um, so, yeah, they're going to be you know exciting from that level. But I think they need, again, go back to this phrase, jokers in the pack. We talked about Ansu Fati and Nico Williams. I think Germany need one. I think they need to get Florian Wirtz uh, fit. I think he needs to be somebody like they it. take to potentially add a little something. And you know what? I'm going to be even wilder here. I'd be looking very closely between now and the World Cup how Makuku fares at Borussia Dortmund as well. And I'd be honestly thinking about taking him and having him on the bench. T- tell us more. Why does he need to be there? Because Germany lack a number nine. They lack a presence. They lack a striker. Somebody who can poach who can get goals they've always had one they've always had that type of player um they they need one right now and i think the young man from Borussia dortmund is is he has to be watched he has to be looked at he has to be considered it's funny actually david when you um talk about makoko there and you're saying germany need that number nine i was thinking dortmund do as well you know there's increasing pressure in dortmund especially after that derby winner against schalke where he he came on um to score and that meant so much to him there's a growing sense in dortmund that um he should be replacing modest despite the fact that they obviously paid a lot of money in terms of um contract as much as anything else to get modest in and short-term replace sebastian allaire it is time for him to step aside at least for the moment and, and Makoko to play um, you know he's, he's quite experienced for someone of, of, of 17 years old I think the best thing about Germany as you say is their youth the only thing is when you said I'm going to go even more left field I was like is he going to say Max Cruiser I mean he's, he's only just about training with Wolfsburg at the moment I mean there's an injury to him in training this, this week that might um, held him back but after Niko Kovac said, to, said he's not a Bundesliga player anymore I was thinking right okay that's wild I mean they did create a, a, a Lego figure of him for um, Euro 2016 so it's got to be taken seriously to an extent right now Work with me, guys. I'm going to try and stitch the last conversation about Germany with the next conversation, which we're we're going to La Liga to talk about uh, Barcelona, who've done really well defensively. I've got some injury worries going forward now in La Liga, um, and the international break probably hasn't helped them. No, absolutely not. It's it's really hindered them, and uh, they're going to have to... You know, Xavi's going to have to think outside of the box here, and I think he might be okay. You know, um, they've started very well defensively. I think there's a nice defensive system there in play um, at Barca. Um, when they had this crazy summer that everyone was talking about, a lot of the focus was on attacking players. Um, they got Koundé, um, they got Christiansen, they got Hector Bellerin in the end as well, but I think they needed another major defensive sign for me. It was always going to be one injury, probably to Koundé, that was going to hit them hard. That injury has now happened. Um, I think they go 
Frankie Jong or Frankesi in terms of a, a centre-back, somebody who can drop in there. I think both have played there before. Uh, both can do that role. So I think that could be the, the solution uh, short-term for them. And then in January, uh, they're going to have to work their, their magic in the market once again. Yeah, best defensive record in La Liga at the moment, Andy. They're not going to be able to keep that record of only having conceded one in this season's uh, tournaments or matchups. They're not going to be able to keep that record for much longer, are they? Well, it, it might be tough. Um, I, I think it's the timing of it as much as anything else. I mean, clearly, um, it looks like Araujo is going to be out of the World Cup. Um, because he's elected to have surgery quite rightly. Um, he's got to look at his long-term future. He's a, he's a good young player. And, uh, you know, Kunde could be a little bit compromised. It might, it might be tight for him anyway. Um, I, I mean, in, in one sense, this might cause a great deal of recrimination because if you're looking at it with your sensible hat on, you would think, you're always thinking during the summer, why are they picking up I mean these are centre-backs obviously but why are they picking up if we're talking about the defence as a whole full-backs on a free when they're spending more money than God on on like forwards that they don't necessarily need um, and you know they've had to force out um, Aubameyang and mothball Ferran Torres to, to, to make it all or balance really, and you know they, they would have got rid of a few others if if, if they could have. Um, I, I always felt they didn't really have the the, the cover they need. Um, maybe this will be shown up because we've got this Champions League double header against Inter. They've got El Clasico in a couple of weeks as well, and Real Madrid are obviously absolutely flying. And you have to say they've got reasonable strength in depth as as, as well from from their perspective. On the other hand. What David was talking about before, about uh, Frankie de Jong, who could do a great job, I think, dropping in there, or, or, or Kessier. Um, and, and then you're looking at Serki Roberto at right back, which is, you know, that they can't get away from it <laughs> through several eras of Barcelona. You always have to have Serki Roberto at, uh, at right back. Um, I, th- I think you'd have to say that he's, he's a better right back than Hector Bellerin at, at, at this point as, as as well. It's not necessarily a bad thing. And remember, if we're going all the way back to 2009 and the first season of Guardiola, well, they won the Champions League with Yaya Toure at centre-back. So, who knows? It's time for me to ask you both to recommend a game of the week for us. Uh, lots to choose from. Um, I, I suppose we're back to club football now and, uh, well, we're chomping at the bit as well. Uh, who, who wants to go first in terms of a game of the week? Andy, you got one? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go for uh, Saturday tea time. going to go to Italy. Inter versus Roma. Um, I think it's a really interesting one um, that you might miss the first 15 minutes of because of uh, UK broadcasting regulations, but I'll leave you guys to, to, to figure it out. Um, it's a really interesting one because, it, <laughs> of course, uh, because uh, Inter have had those three defeats al- al- already. Um, they were uh, beaten badly by Udinese um, just before the international break. Uh, Roma had their reverse as well against Atalanta. Although they played really well in that. They are pretty unlucky. Um, it just feels that if either of these teams are going to get themselves really in the title mix, especially with the high standard of that final game before the break when Milan played Napoli, I, I don't think either team wants to be 
losing this already and um, you know I think the moods at Inter and and Roma are very different uh, at at the moment you know everyone's very much behind Project Mourinho you look at the way the Olympico's like selling out pretty much every week at the moment it's absolutely unprecedented but what Roma are not managing to do is put it in the back of the net as much as they should be able to do with the, the, the sort of attacking players that they've got so we expect a little bit more from them Inter's fans definitely expect a lot more of them so yeah it's going to be it's going to be one to watch it's going to be fantastic and Andy what would you eat with that tantalizing matchup Roma versus Inter you, you know what this is a game where there's so much happening it's, it's going to be all on the go and I think because it's relatively early you want to go quite snackish so um, I am going to um, say let's all make French bread pizzas together Get get some get some good quality French bread. Um, get some rustic Italian ingredients. Let's just freestyle. Let's grill it in five minutes. It's going to be amazing. That's a Maury, apparently, um, or a Moorish, <laughs> Moorish, yeah, a Moorish. I, 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 I thought you said that's Tamori. <laughs> if only it was this week. If only it was. <laughs> and David, uh, the UK broadcasting regulations notwithstanding. What would you recommend? Yeah, um, for my game of the week, I'm also going Saturday. Um, it's going to be Saturday, 5.30 kickoff, and that's Sevilla versus Atletico Madrid. Uh, Lopetegui, he's still there. He's still there. He survived the international break. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> for how long, we don't know. Um, I think this is the sort of game that you either kickstart um, your season in, uh, you turn the tide, um, and, and win everybody over and really build from or <laughs> people say that absolutely nothing has changed in that time and um, you are very much on uh, onto a losing thing and then the only uh, thing you can do is remove Lopetegui from uh, his role um, Atleti uh, are definitely going to be a, you know going to come and make things very very difficult as they will it's going to be a frustrating game I think at times to severe but I think we're going to see we're going to learn a lot more about Sevilla, I think, after this game and, and, and where they are and what has changed um, with within them. So, yeah, that's, that's my recommendation there. Um, and as in, uh, as in for, for some food with that, um, I think we're going to go for a, just for a classic uh, Spanish tortilla with that and uh, get a nice uh, bit of bread there as well, so really carb up. Nice and simple, unlike the match. Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.